having people come in and being able to give power to them and their story and take power away from the anxiety and the depression and the, the negative around it really we can shift things because we are pretty much just a collection of our experiences so you know if we're able to positively spin there, there's no way of saying you know my parents dying were was a good thing but me being right here right now in this present moment is a, an amazing thing um and so many things could be so different but i am just very grateful that i have these opportunities to share to grow to develop hello and welcome to grief gratitude and the gray in between podcast this podcast is about exploring the grief that occurs at different times in our lives in which we have had major changes and transitions that literally shake us to the core and make us experience grief. I created this podcast for people to feel a little less hopeless and alone in their own grief process as they hear the stories of others who have had similar journeys. I'm Kendra Rinaldi, your host. Now, let's dive right in to today's episode. Thank you for joining us on the podcast today. Today I have Zach Ferber. Uh, Zach is a young young guest here that we have. <laughs> one of, I think you're one of the youngest guests I've had, Zach. Oh, wow. um, <laughs> and uh, Zach and I will be talking about his process with the death of both his parents and taking care of them and so forth. But uh, Zach is right now also a medical anthropologist. I am so curious about this and <laughs> And his goal is helping others. And you didn't add the part of all your fitness part here in your bio either. So we'll definitely talk about that as well. Uh, so you help people in many different ways, Zach. And I look forward to hearing more about your story and your your journey and your growth process. So welcome, Zach. Yeah, thank you for having me, Kendra. I appreciate uh, you making space for me. Oh, my goodness. No, it's like an honor always to uh, hold space for somebody else and to be able to share people's stories. That's why the podcast was created. So thank you. Okay, Zach, so tell us about you and your upbringing. You have siblings. So tell us about you first, and then we'll, I'll, I'll take us through this journey here of asking certain questions, and then we'll, we'll see where it get, takes us. Beautiful. Sounds great. Um, yeah, I mean, I... Uh... You know, it's interesting kind of growing up as a, a sensitive man in a, in a culture where sensitive men are not necessarily, you know, put on a pedestal. So from a very early age, I was um, overtly sensitive. Uh, and I come from, you know, both my parents are from the, were from the East Coast. Um, my dad was, you know, grew up in New York, hardcore Jewish entrepreneur who, you know, worked 20 hours a day, didn't complain, just kind of got it done. And that was his mentality. And then um, my mom was kind of the shower with love type. So mm -hmm. it was a lot of hard love being the firstborn from my father and, and growing up, you know, not not necessarily being nudged in the in the in the nicest way, but definitely nudged in a way to uh, be the best version of me. And then um, you know, being kind of a little bit more uh, sensitive and in tune with my emotions, you know, my mother would always be the one who kind of like hold space for me and be there for me. So it's definitely interesting growing up, seeing how 
you know, I came first and then, you know, the middle child, my brother, definitely a little bit more out there, aggressive. Uh, we called him like the monkey of the family. And then uh, my sister was the perfect little angel. So, um, you know. How far apart are you guys in age? Exactly three years. Each of you? Yeah, okay. it was like they they plan they definitely didn't plan me. I know that, but they plan they planned the uh, interval. <laughs> it's funny because when um when I got married and I think it was when I was expecting our first, the, this uh, lady that had already grown children said, "The best age difference between kids is three years." You know, just make sure. To, and that's how you know. So I was like, "Okay, well, that's not what I'm saying." <laughs> My kids are fifteen months apart, so. <laughs> We didn't follow her guidance. Yeah, we did half the time she mentioned. Um, so you guys grew up then in New York, or is that just where they were from? Yeah, so they were both from the East Coast. We actually grew up in uh, Orange County, California. So um, it's Southern California. It's very, uh, you know, when I when I people think of like tick TikTok houses or like you know. That song, that song from that show, um, uh, Weeds. Weeds, yeah, That's that intro. That's always what I think of. Yeah. yeah, it's like that, That you know, the intro, I like think of that. And I, I live in Texas and it's actually Little House. It's also like that. Very like similar. Little, so, oh yeah, so I, I, I understand. And I lived in California as well before. Oh, nice. So, uh, okay, very so curated space. Yeah. Yes, yeah, yeah it's all like, pro, like, yeah, very planned neighborhoods in which you have certain builders that can do and everything kind of looks alike so you yeah. grew up in orange county in in that way with your siblings um and then so middle school high school how was it growing yeah. up and at what what point i don't know which one of your parents was sick first so uh take us into that dynamic too yeah so i mean we were like i said my dad was a very hard-working entrepreneur he found his kind of niche in the automotive industry and uh, before the stock market crash he was he like if you've ever seen james bond or fast and furious he was the one who kind of designed all the cars, brought them to the, to the stage. Sometimes, you know, if the, the stunt actors weren't there, he would have to drive them onto set. So awesome. I know he was always coming home with different cars. He was very like flashy. It was, it worked out very well for Orange County. <laughs> um, with that being said, it was always, you know, I felt that like he was all keeping up with the Millers type of type of scenario out there where, you know, we were by all means stable middle-class, but um, I got the opportunity to go, you know, middle school was awesome. I had, I had a great time, had a really good group of friends and then high school, I got the opportunity to, to have a full scholarship to a, uh, private school out here. And it was, uh, the first time I really saw like class disparity and, you know, understanding that you could fit one of my house or, you know, three of my houses into one of my mm -hmm. friend's houses. And it was kind of that feeling of not having enough um, and being in all AP classes. So I was so busy and like trying to, as I said, you know, my, my father put a lot of stress on me that you have to do well, you have to, you know, if you're going to be in these scenarios. So um, I grew up very Jewish and very, you know, those, those foundations, those principles kind of helped to, you know, we are the people that, that made it through so much. So it's like perseverance and, and, you know, grind and grit. And that was all kind of, the mentality growing up. And, um, I took that into to high school and that, uh, uh did not suit me well mentally. <laughs> I mm -hmm. think, you know, at some point you want to be a kid and, um, you know, I was a freshman, sophomore year that, that my dad got sick. So I was 
uh, gosh, 2011. So he had been sick for a little while. So 2011, um, I was, you know, 16. Yeah. So he had, he had been sick on and off. Um, and he was sick for about seven years before he passed away with, uh, he had non-Hodgkin's lymphoma. Mm -hmm. So blood cancer, he woke up one day just in a lot of pain. I still remember it was right before Halloween. So they had to take him an ambulance and he had a big tumor in his spleen and they found out it had, you know, metastasized and, and gone, gone into his lymph nodes. So, um, he would go through like these spurts of, of being fine, um, getting chemotherapy, working through it, being in remission and then, you know, wake up and this happened three times. He, he came out of remission where he'd have like a big, you know, I remember his eye, he had this big tumor behind his eye. So he woke up and all of a sudden, like his eye was three times the size it's supposed to be. Um, and as a kid, you know, I'm trying to put my head down and work hard. Um, and I just see, you know, frustration, anger from my parents, that, that, that kind of stress can put a lot on a marriage. Um, and so that, you know, seeing kind of the de decomposing of a healthy relationship on top of watching and it health. better and sick and better. Yeah. And, and, you know, it's, it's so strange, like looking back, I feel, it feels like a different world because like it, it it was so normal. Like, oh, dad, dad's going to go to, to the hospital. He was being treated at City of Hope. Dad's going to go to the hospital for six months. Like, he, he's just going to go. And, and it's just like, it was so normal. Um, but I ended up sophomore year of high school. I was not doing well in school. I was doing drugs. I was unhappy. I mean, I, I look look back on the pressure I put, put myself through. And I'm like, no wonder you're a 16-year-old kid dealing with your dad being sick, dealing with, you know, all these other external issues. Um, and I was pretty, pretty suicidal. Mental health was definitely not good. So I ended up dropping out early and going to a program for, for mental health. And, um, to this day, I credit that with a lot of the big shifts that I made in my life where, um, you know, it definitely started out with like, take these pills, see what works. And then, um, you know, ended up getting off all antidepressant, all, all anti-anxiety medication and kind of finding a rhythm for me that really supported, uh, growth and, and being that individual that I want to be where, you know, the status quo is never seems to be good enough. So, um, I think that's like the entrepreneurial side in me that I probably got from my dad, where it's like, if you're not, if you don't have your hand in 10 different cookie jars and still like brain still working on new things, you're, you're stagnant. Um, which is, yeah. and it, you know, creates problems of, of mindful rest and all that, which I'm sure is caused some of the burnout in the past, but, um, yeah, I mean, he, he got yeah. sick, in, you know, 2011 and he ended up passing in, excuse me. I, I apologize. Wow. Uh, he got dates, sick. In dates, by the way, that it's, it's so normal yeah. that dates become <laughs> like a blur. It's happened several times that I asked people like, even like the dates of, and they're like, uh, like, you know, so no, don't worry about it. It's so I normal. literally got it tattooed. I have the tattoo of uh, my dad's passing and my mom's passing on my body. And I guess it's funny, but not funny. My aunt's birthday is the same day my dad passed away. So, so it says May 25th. Let me see. May, May 28th, 2011 is when he passed. When so he passed. diagnosed then 2000, you said seven years yeah. prior to that. Yeah. yeah. So so I was you younger. Were, I apologize. You yeah, yeah. So you were, you were still not even graduated from high school at that point. No, and right. I think that's yeah. I mean, I you had, that's. Let me yeah. ask you. Sorry, let me sorry before no, 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 no. I go into that. Rap, you you mentioned you in tenth grade is when you dropped from 
school to go into my, okay. So when you yeah. dropped from school to go into like mental health support, so did you then finish your school? Like GED, like how did you finish your high school to then be able to continue then your further yeah, education so I, then? I mean, I dropped out two weeks left in the semester and my professors were really cool about it. And, and I mean, any 16 year old whose, whose dad died, they were like, yeah, go do, go do what you need to do. Um, right. And then I took the the summer to really work on myself, go into therapy, go into, and obviously things were changing. That was, um, you know, we were still getting, being affected by the stock market crash. You know, the, the, the car industry went back to Detroit in 2008. So I have memories of my dad uh, sitting in his hospital bed, trying to work from his hospital bed. Um, you know, the doctor's telling us, oh, there's a, you know, 3% chance that you know, he, he dies from this. So you'll, you'll be fine. And us cashing out our life insurance, his life insurance policy early so that we had some money to, to, to get by. I mean, my mom was a working mo- or not a non-working mother. So, um, you know, he was the only source of income. And then, um, for him to pass, we had no real assets at that point. We'd actually had someone, um, stealing money from us at that time, which is a whole, wow. whole other story. Yeah. Um, tends to happen when, when people are in vulnerable situations. So, um, we lost our house five days after my dad died. Um, we were, we were evicted, so we had to get out. Um, so, you know, on top of dealing with his death, the few in the Jewish religion, mm-hmm. you, you bury within, you know, a couple of days of somebody dying. So, so I just remember the, the, the love and support from the community at that point. I mean, I was, I grew up very Jewish. I went to Jewish elementary school. And then, you know, as with everyone, you start testing your faith and getting, but it was just, uh, I get chills thinking about it. it was the the hospital my dad was at. And they used to say, he must be like the holiest man in the world. I'm like, why? And they're like, well, he always has a different rabbi by his bedside. And, you know, I was in all the the Orthodox camps and all of the, you know, I was very active in the community when I was very young. And, and so all of these rabbis heard about what was going on and came and prayed and prayed and prayed. Um, but yeah, so, I mean, he passed, we were evicted. Uh, I went into that program for most of the summer. Um, and like I said, it really, really helped to kind of shift my mindset that way. You know, I, I ended up going to a public school for the rest of my high school experience, which, uh, I'll say my, my coping mechanisms did not improve going to a school where <laughs> really, I was yeah. just going to actually think if maybe if it, if there was less pressure for you feeling like, because in the uh, first one and at first school, the pressure of you kind of trying to keep up, you got there into a, in a scholarship, right? So yeah. that pressure there of your grades of AP classes, all these kind of things, if that shifted how you felt then now in a school that maybe those expectations were not there, but it was not the case. Well, you also just have gone through a huge, you're the oldest of three kids having, if you were what, 16 when your dad died, yeah, your siblings were just 13 and 10. yeah, I mean, my sister wasn't even, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it was, I think it was that, you know, still, still working through things with therapists and then trying to figure out, but it, I mean, it wasn't even a year later, my mom was diagnosed with, stage four lung cancer. So it wasn't like, oh, you know, she had a growth. It was like, she, she, this is like the worst non-small cell lung cancer stage four. And we're sitting there like, what? (laughs) So I I think that, 
you know, not even dealing with the grief of my dad. And there's a lot of not only his death, but his mentality, the stress that he created, the anger that resonated out of him for seven years was, you know, something I was still kind of trying to mm. digest. Um, and then on top of that, all of a sudden my mom's sick. Um, and it went from zero to hundred really quick. Uh, she didn't like my dad lost his hair. We had some fun little shaving parties for him. And it seemed to be like, uh, all right, let's try to bring this little bit of happiness into the situation. Whereas my mom, it was like, you're going to die in three months. So <laughs> did, they, did the doctor say that? Yeah. Or did they they give said it that three, to, three to six months uh was the diagnosis and how how many how many months did she live after she that lived diagnosis? for years actually that's so, okay so yeah. that happens that's it's not unlikely that those things happen that's why i'm like that's surprising that they gave her such a short window and not like a lot you know so that's uh, yeah well looking so. back now i mean and and doing i i'm i'm kind of a, a nerd and i really like to, <laughs> to study and learn and, and process things so I mean, it's, it was very aggressive, very fast stage in cancer. If to have no cancer, all of a sudden to stage four, they were like, if it's growing this fast, but you know, a lot of, there's, there's a lot of issues with the medical system and how they diagnose. And so, you know, there's a lot they, they weren't taking into account. Like, you know, maybe she had been sitting at stage four for a while, or maybe, you know, there were, there were differing health factors, stress that was, was inducing it um, in the past. And now maybe she didn't need, necessarily need that. So um yeah i mean she she was sick in was it 2012 she got sick and then she died in 2015 so she had three three pretty good years um and most of them were from an experimental treatment which was really cool uh experimental chemotherapy um and like she didn't lose her hair she didn't so she was pretty high functioning um but i mean it was, it was a year or so where she was on that experimental treatment. And then as soon as with those studies, as soon as there's a negative, any kind of negative in the study, they kick you off because they don't want to ruin the likelihood of the trial, you know, going through to the FDA. So I took her to every one of her appointments. I was, you know, in the, in the room with her when the doctor came and said, Hey, you know, your markers are looking lower this week. We're going to take you off. And she's like, well, what, what, what are my options? And he's like, I don't know. You got to go back to your oncologist and, and see. Thanks. Bye. And so that was pretty, pretty, I mean, we, we were very fortunate to, we went to Hawaii as a, as a family, we went, you know, while she was sick. So the, the treatment really helped her. Um, have and a quality of life. Like it yeah. helped to have a quality of life with you guys for totally for those totally. three years. Mm. And I mean, unfortunately, I don't, I don't want to get too much into it, but uh, my siblings, obviously, being young the way they were, and um, drugs being prevalent in our home, and it, it was just not a good situation. We, you know, um, one of my siblings is a recovering, you know, addict, and because of these scenarios, the stress was put on him, the availability was there. And it, so it was like me trying to take care of her. My younger sister was still in high school. We were trying to figure out what she was doing and give her the best life that she could. Um, and my brother was, was still in high school as well. And it was, it, it quickly became like, I graduated high school and put college on the back burner 
Um, I like to tell people I, I'm still waiting for Guinness to reach back out with my uh, world longest. record for most for <laughs> longest in most community college. I, I attended six different colleges, so six pretty excited. Different community colleges, <laughs> six six colleges total. So total. four community colleges and then uh, two universities. So um, I went to two community colleges oh, and okay. one university. So I'm halfway. I, I, I was, <laughs> you beat my world, Guinness. Uh, and then <laughs> how many years? How many years? That's the oh, question. like seven. Oh, you beat. So I, I did in six. No, maybe not. Maybe oh. six. No, maybe it was six. Trying okay. to think. Yeah, I started like at 20. I did like, you know, a few courses, 20, and then graduated. Maybe I was 20. I don't remember. Maybe I was 25, 26. Anyway, it felt like forever, but anyway. Well, especially um, at that age, too. Like, the, the the paradigm there is like, wow, I am so old compared to people around me. Mm -hmm. And, like, this is so uh, such a step backwards in my life. Like, I'm going to be so far behind everybody. And it's just... Yeah, there, so not there are true. certain things. It's, it's yeah. doing a parenthesis here. There's that, but then also, for example, when I did go to the university, I went, I went to Cal, I went to Cal State Northridge. That's where I got my degree. Oh, nice. But so when I was at Cal State, by the time I got there, because I was 24 when I started there, mm -hmm. I didn't have to put my parents' financial information for my FAFSA, my finance, my form. There so you go. I got my last two years. So I did graduate at 26. My last two years, I. I didn't, I, you know, it was paid before because I was, I was, I only had to put my own financial information. So that was in the state of California that it paid off to not do for, to wait to 24 to do the last two years. There you go. You heard it here first. This is uh, <laughs> the hacks. The, hacks, the, the seven year, the seven year route, <laughs> six colleges or three colleges route. We still end up okay. Yeah, yeah. So if parents have these high expectations of their kids of doing something a certain way. We all figure it out somewhere or another and end up <laughs> yeah. someplace. Okay, yeah. so so you had just a lot of pressure and responsibility. Not only were you then the caretaker to your dad, when, you know, to your dad, to your mom, but then to your siblings, then also, you know, going to school, you took then a break a little bit for college and then started then your route. But how, who was supporting you as a family when you all, like, I know you had the community, the Jewish community, which you mentioned that when your dad passed away, did you have family that lived also in the area in Orange County or was everybody in the East Coast? And how, how, what did you guys yeah, have? So I, I, uh, I actually was working two to three jobs at that point. Um, my, we do have family in Orange County and, you know, they were helpful as they could be, but, uh, you know, they're, they're very busy as, as it is on their own. I mean, they were, my uncle's a very, um, I guess known surgeon. So he, you know, taking call all the time and, two kids very busy um you know there's also seems like there's always added family drama when you're going through stuff so there was like some some family stuff that came up and i think that kind of created a divide in the family when when tensions are high during those those high stressful environments it's it's so easy to take things personally it's so easy to get upset but um yeah i mean we we were lucky enough that we did have you know, we didn't run through all the life insurance that my dad had. So, um, you know, we, we had that buffer, um, but it wasn't a huge buffer. My mom was planning to go back to work and um, to even work while she was sick. Um, but 
you know, and it never got to that point. So, you know, we did have the community bringing us meals, spending holidays with, with family, friends. It was, um, it was difficult. And then when it did get to the point where she was really sick, um, I converted my, I, I had a downstairs bedroom. I converted my room to a hospice room mm. and, um, we couldn't afford a full-time nurse. So we had a nurse at night with her. She liked to get up in the middle of the night and she had like a, she had a port. So it would administer any kind of medication directly to her heart. She liked to cut her IV in the middle of the night and walk around. Um, yeah. So I just remember, I remember like, she's like on her, on her deathbed practically and i'm having these conversations with hospice companies and they're like yeah if she keeps cutting her her iv we're gonna have to find her new and i was like sitting there i'm like mom you can't and she goes it's it itches it's, uh, <laughs> and i'm like you're, oh my you're cutting the cord you're not even like pulling it out what are you, what are you? so yeah. like um it, looking back now it's comical um mm -hmm. during the time of i was it was not frustrating <laughs> yeah frustrating yeah because yeah. yeah, um, but yeah i mean i think that that was my biggest test personally. And, and honestly, I don't know that I would have had it any other way because I got to spend, you know, so much time, you know, you never want to see, you don't ever want to have to like shower your mother and help her, you know, feed her and whatever. But it, it was very, I, I don't know. It, it almost felt like easier than my dad because at least I was spending, she wasn't in the hospital all the time. I was spending time with her. I learned to navigate around, you know, anytime somebody takes that much pain medication, they men mentally, they change. So yes, she would say some hurtful things or whatever close to the end, but learning to navigate those, I just felt like I was in a much healthier place. Uh, <laughs> watching one parent take die, mm -hmm. it made it easier to watch the second parent die, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, it was, it was definitely a, um, a healthier scenario. Uh, in a non-healthy environment. <laughs> wow. Yeah. So, Zachary, you, here you are at that point then you were just, let me see, 20 probably. Yeah, my, so my mom passed so 21. She I, she passed yeah. right after. So her birthday, it was beautiful. I did a um I did a so this is where like fitness came in was mm -hmm. I was so fixated on controlling what I could in my life that um, you know, it became my therapy. I grew up playing ice hockey. I grew up very athletic. Um, and being able to like push myself to be better. I, I take things, like I said, I'm a little, a little crazy. I like to like really do my research. I take things to the nth degree. So I ended up like, while she was in this like very sick time for her, I decided to do a bodybuilding show, um, while working two, three jobs, going to community college, taking care of her. Um, I was a guy who brought Tupperware everywhere with me. I was going to the gym at, you know, 2 a.m., whatever I could. Um, I do miss that energy I had as a 21-year-old. But, um, yeah, it was such a nice variable that I could control when everything mm -hmm. else was in chaos. So I, I, going a little extra in that route, I think, um, really helped to keep me mentally focused. Um, and it was beautiful. My My competition was on my 21st birthday and my mother was able to make it so i have a picture of her um and my coach and i standing there i had my i came in third place um congratulations in your first you. competition yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah yeah so out of like 60 or so guys it's pretty cool 
Um, and, you know, you just see her, her, you know, she had her, her oxygen in, but she was able to come sit in the stands and cheer me on. Um, and then my sister expedited her bat mitzvah and had that on my mom's birthday, which is August 31st. So my birthday is August 8th. My mom's was August 31st. She had her bat mitzvah. And then we had a party slash birthday party for my mom. And then um, she thought that was it. She's like, all right, I can go now. Um, but she was a very, very stubborn woman. So she waited until December. Um, but still, I, I she deteriorated very quickly after that. So she was waiting for, you know, these big momentous occasions mm. where we had pictures and, and family was there and people from the East Coast flew in for my sister's bar mitzvah. And it was just, it was beautiful. Um, and then, you know, she was, God, I remember it's, it's so hard to, she was supposed to pick a day to die at home because she didn't want to die in the hospital. And it's like, how do you, I was so mad at her for not picking a day, but how do you pick a day? You're like, all right, I'm, I'm going to go today. Right, right. So the pain became intolerable and we ended up running, rushing into the hospital and, <clears throat> and my aunt, you know, bent over in the bed and said, it's okay to leave. You can, you can go now. And she just very peacefully went um which i didn't get into too much of my my father but it was not peaceful he was you know we had suction and he was spewing blood a little bit everywhere he had a failed stem cell transplant so he actually died from graft versus host disease um his brother who was supposed to donate ended up not being able to on the day of so mm -hmm. they kind of had to make a pivot um and it didn't didn't work didn't, out didn't work so. Let, let's go into that because in your the bio you sent me now tell us how passionate you are then now about this aspect of stem cell and so forth and 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 just the fact of what you studied so medical anthropology let's talk about that of because you you're going through these deaths that of both your parents this life experience that you went through um and that definitely shapes the direction in which mm -hmm. you go. And it could go either way, right? So would you have chosen medical anthropology as your degree, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or not, right? So, yeah. so uh -huh. let, tell us what it is and also regarding stem cell uh, research and donations and things like that, right? That is something that you help out with. Yeah. <clears throat> so, I mean, I... It's so funny because it's like, it's just the exactly what you're talking about, right? It's the intersection. Medical anthropology is really like the epidemiology and understanding of how medicine has come to be, how the human body works. And like the, the cultural anthropology, anthropological aspects of understanding why we do what we do. So it's like my, my, my favorite, you know, the body and the mind, like those mm. two things and how they intersect and how they've been studied over time. Um, and realistically, I was I was pre med, so I was like, okay, what what looks more competitive than biology? Because <laughs> everybody's a biology major, so um, I really thought my my path was to become a physician and and help people, and um, that didn't end up being the case. And and I'm Yet. very happy. Yet well, anyway, you never <laughs> at least that you don't. If that ends up being the route later on, you may, can maybe that. a. Yeah, exactly. Maybe PhD. There you go. I don't think yeah. I don't think MD is in the cards for me. I just just yet. Um, but yeah, I mean, it it's 
it was so interesting to me to find an intersection of, I didn't even know that was possible. So that's kind of why I went down that road um, was to try to understand how, how treatments for things. I mean, I took a whole class about like learning about cancer and how it's formed and how it's treated. And it just blew my mind to, you know, there's nothing like learning something being in the environment, like watching my parents and listening to all those hospital visits over time. I definitely picked up knowledge and, and was able to kind of like, well, I know a lot more than the average, you know, 22 year old knows about mm -hmm. cancer research and how cancer works. And um, I actually found, uh, so, so City of Hope has a stem cell department. That's where my dad was treated. And, and it's, and it's through a program called Be The Match, which is an amazing nonprofit uh, that helps donors match with, uh, it's not, it's not just cancer. There's, um, it's all blood cancers and then sickle cell anemia. So anything that affects um, the blood, the the blood, blood. Yeah. yeah, and your, and your genetics. And it's very interesting uh, on a, you know, very, very high level. It's just basically killing the patient, bringing their immunity down to zero and introducing new stem cells into that patient and allowing them to rebuild. Um, you actually will change blood types to your donor's blood type. It's very, very interesting. Um, but in college, uh, at the first school, I met a guy. Um, he's still, we're still very close, but I met him um, he was in the the Jewish fraternity. I was I was rushing, and he one of the first events. I was like, asked my buddy. I was like, who is that guy? He was playing tackle football in the sand with pick lines in his arm, which are like uh, another way of yeah. administering chemotherapy. Uh -huh. And you know, he's he's missing his eyebrows, and I'm like, so there's he's a cancer patient playing tackle football with the Jewish fraternity. I'm like, I got to know who this guy is. This was as my mom was sick. Um, come to find out. He uh, he was treated at City of Hope. He actually was a successful stem cell uh, recipient. Um, he started a nonprofit that helped kids uh, with funding for for treatment um, because it's still quite expensive. Um, but I just fell in love with with the science, with the idea, with the understanding of like, wow, you you can change your genetics you can fix ailments. And I mean, we, we've come so far from, you know, when my dad was sick in 2011 or when he passed 2011, like to now, he would probably be living now if, if he was sick, like to see the the advances we're going through in these. Um, and just, just to give people, you know, it's, there's always that red button topic of, of stem cells. It's not like embryonic stem cells, it's stem cells through your blood. So white blood cells, um, and now when you donate, a lot of people think, you know, they go through bone marrow, but they actually are able to take your blood, run it through a machine and take out the, the stem cells from your blood. Um, they do have to give you a medication to kind of help boost the stem cells, but the process is painless and simple and easy. And um, anybody can join the registry. It's, it's free. They'll send you a swab, you swab your mouth and send it back. And, um, you know, there's been over a hundred thousand people who've been saved today. And just mm -hmm. that idea of like literally stepping out of yourself and saving someone's life um, was just mind blowing to me. So I got the opportunity to work with them after college, and I was like, I am, I am all in. This is amazing. This is, and it was a lot. It was a lot of tough work. I mean, a lot of people don't realize it was a nonprofit sector of the hospital, and I was in charge of a very large territory, 
and I would basically just drive and, and get different schools and organizations involved and kind of do business development for them and, and tell my story and bring my passion to the, to the environment. And, um, and stories yeah. are, stories are really so important because it goes to the heart, right. Of why it is something was started or, or you know, like, and people do get inspired by that. So by you going and sharing your story and the fact that your dad's process kind of didn't end up working out because of failed stem, stem cell, you know, donation and so forth. It is inspiring for others. So that, that's amazing that your story is now saving other people's lives. So mm. your, your parents' legacy lives on because of the choices you are also making and saving others too. So I don't know. That's wow. how I, I, that's how I, I see it at least of how you're sharing that. So thank you. Um, with, in terms of tools with your grief journey, I just want to touch a little bit upon that, about, uh, uh, on that, um, since we've talked about what it is you do now for others, uh, you already mentioned some ways in which we're not the healthiest per se coping mechanisms are, uh, uh, with what you did, you know, with, uh, with, you know, drugs and the stress and depression and not healthy choices, but then kind of doing a U-turn there, then the aspect of fitness then being something that was a way of you controlling a part, yeah. which can go either way as well in some people, totally. right? It could totally. also go, and another direction, that aspect of food and exercise can go in an unhealthy route as well. In your case, it went into a healthy way of coping <laughs> with with what you were going through of the non non aspect of control in your life. So, what other tools that you use? You had your you know the community. Then you had your your um, school. You had your uh, that you did you make it into your fraternity into the rush you went into. <laughs> I did, and and okay. it was great because Where's I was that? able to stay even in junior college. They kept me on, and that was. I mean, I still like talked to my friend yesterday who I rushed with, and it's like so, that is so. That's a support. Community. So that's another. Oh, okay, that's your other community oh, there. Okay, so um, so tell us then a little more about that. What other ways did you? What other tools did you use? Yeah, I mean, I think. Or know, keep just, using. Keep using. Yeah, I was gonna. Say, I was gonna say just being. I mean. It's it's interesting how in life you don't always get what you think you're gonna get, but you think you usually get what you need. So like scrolling on Instagram and finding you, it's like <laughs> I've worked with a few uh, different nonprofits. I've told my story on stage. I like to tell people like I I I, uh, I opened up for Dana Carvey. I don't know if you know who that is from like Wayne's World and everything. Yeah. yeah. So it was really it was amazing experience to be able to like be at this men's group and have these conversations and. Um, you know, that's, I'm very passionate about fostering those, those kind of environments. And I think that's been a huge, huge shift for me, which is being vulnerable and talking about these, these things and, and holding space for others to do the same, because it's such a, right. You take the power away from the situation, from the words, if you're able to kind of talk about it. Um, and so that's kind of been, you know, on top of you mentioned the fitness and I think, you know, that was definitely a little unhealthy when it first started. And now, you know, I've found that to a therapeutic rhythm in that. Right. And, and 
adding in breath work and adding in meditation and adding in these different tools and components that really help to calm your nervous system. Um, but, you know, just learning to be in the emotion and be around people when they, when they're in the emotion and to be very present and give that space because I learned very quickly with my father's death. If you don't, it bottles up, you get anxious, you get stressed, you get, you know, just angry. And I feel like every time I, I have one of these conversations and then I really appreciate you create, like I said, creating that space because it really, it's not just me. It's like being, having people come in and being able to give power to them and their story and take power away from the anxiety and the depression and the, the negative around it really we can shift things because we are pretty much just a collection of our experiences. So, you know, if we're able to positively spin, there, there's no way of saying, you know, my parents dying were, was a good thing, but me being right here right now in this present moment is a, an amazing thing. Um, mm. And so many things could be so different, but I am just very grateful that I have these opportunities to share, to grow, to develop, um, you know, I think my tools can borderline on unhealthy, but it, all of it is border is, is in the foundation of personal growth, right? That's yeah. what excites me. Yeah. yeah. And that, that's at the end when we say healthy, unhealthy, it's like, it's a, it's a matter of, uh, of, it's kind of like saying healthy food or not healthy food that, you know, I mean, it's uh, it is, it is the food, right? <laughs> it's yeah, food, exactly. right? So it's like, that's the thing with same with with choices for someone else that is just the way that they can cope so that is way better than the alternative you know so it's it, that's a thing so i when i when i was trying to say that regarding the control i wasn't trying to make judgment on that aspect of, no, of, no, of physical fitness but you yeah. know that in general in the health and fitness world a lot of times things can go the, too extreme in either way right so that's um that's why that's I was the problem. Gonna... It's, it's the noise. I mean, it's the people are so confused and anxious and they, you know, the, I used to work in the supplement industry and it's just the idea that this is now something that is peddled down for everyone. It's like, no, it's supplemental to what you're doing. It's, it's not mm -hmm. meant to. So, you know, it's the same thing, like you're saying, right. There's a healthy way of finding that. Um, and then, you know, that's what I kind of help my clients with is like, you shouldn't be killing yourself for three months to look good on the beach one day. You should have yeah. a, a mindful sustainable lifestyle. Exactly. Yeah, a sustainable exactly. lifestyle. And you mentioned something else before too, which is the aspect of the, the, the mind component, the community part. It's not just one way, right? Like it's not just like what you put in your mouth or, or the output in the gym is, are you surrounding yourself with people around you that are making you smile? The community, mm -hmm. like you were talking about before, the um, those social components that are so important in totally. our in our in our lives. That you know, so um, especially now with with COVID and everything. And I, I listened to something the other day that I, I feel called to kind of share is is please. you know not just right the social environment, but they were talking about having a picture of them as a young adult or a young child, you know, sitting present on their desk, like one of their proudest moments. And to think like, what would that child say about you? Because, you know, it's so important. And a lot of people talk about like inner child work or like, mm -hmm. you know, making sure that you're staying connected, but just like 
are you are you would young you be proud of you right now are you doing and fulfilling everything that you we so often get you know uh distracted by the carrot in front of us that we forget what's surrounding us so um I thought that was very beautiful and, and really reshaped things. And, you know, I sat there thinking like, huh, little Zach before all the anxiety, before all the depression, you know, just pure innocence. What, what, what would he say about me now? And how can I be better to make that person proud? Because if you're living in true alignment with, with that sense of self, I, I can't imagine you ever being, disappointed with where your life is going so <laughs> that, was, that was like a huge nugget right there that you gave because it is not, and and it's about the being are we making our own self that oh our own selves proud it's not about others approval it's about our true self making you know making that trueness of ourselves are uh proud of where we are um and yeah, and the alignment component, which is, I think, huge. And so many of us end up living off of alignment because we are trying to prove to others that we can or try to fit into the society that's expecting. You said keeping up with the Millers, which I had never heard that. I had heard the Joneses. I never oh, heard Joneses. Keeping- I think that's a movie. I was a that was a movie, and I think I got keeping up, but keeping up with others. Um, that therefore ends up kind of throwing us off of our course, right? So a lot of stress, depression, all that kind of stuff can be, you know, added because we're trying to keep up with other people's standards and not necessarily with even just our our own or our, or, you know, our seven year route on co- in college. Woo-hoo! <laughs> well, the biggest the biggest shift for me with with feeling those feelings and depression, anxiety is like yeah. knowing that they're actually a symptom of like a larger Mm. disease or like you're saying misalignment. So rather than like, why am I depressed? It's like, what, where am I lacking right now? That's causing this feeling to come up, sitting with it, exploring it. Because, you know, in my mind, it was like, I'm depressed. I need to fix depression. And at that point, you're what's just the root you're cause? Gonna, what's the yeah, root cause? What's, <laughs> exactly. What's exactly. A, yeah, and going back to that, and then I think, and and in going to that too, and in the medical field, since you're in that, is that as well, right? What is the root cause of things? Not just let's just put a band aid on it, but what is what is really what even you know that caused the cancer to begin with? Or yeah, you know, my mom died of cancer as well, so I mm. can relate to that. So. How did any of the emotions, the stress, any of those things add to the pile, as you were mentioning before? Um, thank you so much for everything that you've shared and all the knowledge. Is there anything I did not ask you that you'd like to share with the listeners and um, also how they can find you? Yeah, I mean, not, not really. I'm, I'm again just very appreciative that you have this this space for people, and and um, I think anybody who has a story would find great power in just opening up, and you'd be surprised how many people you can connect with just by being vulnerable and being raw. Uh, scary as it is, making that leap is the best decision I've ever made. So, um, I I will leave you my my Instagram and my uh, email and. Um, anybody who wants to reach out for any reason, I literally, I mean, on my LinkedIn the other day, I put a, a link to my calendar. I just, 
I find so much pleasure in, in talking to other people and learning about their journey and um, just seeing what I can learn, what I can help with, you know. So, yeah, don't be afraid to reach out. And, and again, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate thank it. Thank you. And so yeah. in the profile notes, go check out the details of his contact. So thank you once again, Zach. We had Zachary Ferber on the podcast today. Thank you. Thank you again so much for choosing to listen today. I hope that you can take away a few nuggets from today's episode that can bring you comfort in your times of grief. If so, it would mean so much to me if you would rate and comment on this episode. And if you feel inspired in some way to share it with someone who may need to hear this, please do so. Also, if you or someone you know has a story of grief and gratitude that should be shared so that others can be inspired as well, please reach out to me. And thanks once again for tuning in to Grief, Gratitude, and the Gray in Between podcast. Have a beautiful day.